If you'd still like to apply to the Spectator's Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, there's time to do so. The deadline has now been extended to Friday the 23rd of June. Wherever you're based in the UK, we can't wait to hear about the successes of your business and the impact you're making on the economy and society in 2023. To learn more and apply, please visit spectator.co.uk forward slash innovator. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Hill and Fraser Nelson. So today is the seven-year anniversary of the Brexit referendum and there's a new poll out marking that from the Tony Blair Institute. The headline of it is that four in five Britons support a closer relationship with the EU over the medium term. Just around 43% favour rejoining the EU in full. James, there's quite a lot of people supporting a closer relationship with the EU if this poll is to be believed. Yes, and I think that this is a great way for both sides, the Conservatives and Labour, sort of talk around the issue without addressing the more thornier question of rejoin, say, or sort of formal structures like the single market, etc. Uh, David Lammy gave a speech this week where he talked about the importance of building such ties and working with things like having the veterinary agreement and closer on such standards in order to allow easier trade with the uh, EU. And I think basically it's going to be the, the situation we see for the next few years in British politics is Labour in particular talking about closer ties with the EU, we're not actually going the sort of full hog of actually suggesting rejoin. Uh, certainly not in next election, but potentially maybe at the end, if they're going for a second term, there could be there'll be pushes for that within the party, as you've seen from you know people like Stella Creasy, who chairs the Labour European movement. And on the Conservative side, I think Rishi Sunak certainly marked a break with the recent past. You know, Boris Johnson was a very adversarial, pugilistic approach to Brussels with the protocol bill. Rishi Sunak has come in and clearly put all his eggs in the basket of negotiation and compromise and being a deal maker, working with them, etc. Um, so for those reasons, I think that, you know, we're going to see more sort of rhetoric around this where it's, we're moving away from the period where it was very much more an adversarial relationship to a much more one based on compromise and uh, discussions of goodwill, etc. Mm. And Fraser, this also comes as YouGov has a Brexit tracker survey, which finds that uh, 58% of people in Britain would now vote to rejoin. I mean, it's it's amazing that seven years on from the referendum, we're still having this debate. I mean, I guess this is never going to end. <laughs> we are always going to be talking about our relationship with the EU and wondering whether or not the country made the right decision. Well, certainly the Tony Blair Institute and those like Blair kind of crave vindication and they're, they're waiting for people to say, oh, we made the wrong decision, Tony, if only we'd listen to you. In fact, the striking thing about Brexit opinion is how little it's moved. It was always a very close-run thing. And um, like 52 to 48 was by no means an argument-settling figure. And the strange thing was that straight after that, people always assumed that the Brexiteers had thought there was like a one in four chance of this. When they voted for it, they didn't really think it would happen. Now they found it's happening, they changed their mind. And immediately after the referendum, we'd found people didn't take that view. They stuck by the original position. Now what's happened then is that we've had all sorts of, of, of turmoil. Brexit has simply not lived up to the expectations of those who argue that we'd be making it we have lots of free trade deals by now we'd be going into shops and buying things that were demonstrably cheaper pretty much none of that had happened of course people like me i was a reluctant brexiteer i changed my mind from remain to brexit late on and for reasons that to my mind still holds that it was a force of democratic realignment it was a way of getting rid of populism we're now the only country in europe not to have populists either in parliament or with a significant showing 
in the polls. I think that Brexit, to me, it was to realign political parties with the voters, and that job pretty much was done. I had relatively low hopes for it making a significant economic impact. But when we do look at all of this, you can say people can change their definition of what they wanted out of Brexit, whether it succeeded or failed, whether it's even possible to declare it one or the other at this stage. But I think what the um, Blair poll shows is that just like Scottish independence, the side that just lost by 45% in the Scottish case, by 48% in the Remain case, will not give up. They will keep on going. And to me, it's slightly more significant if a Labour government thinks this is the backdrop, mm. what might they do to close the gap between our, our relationship with Europe right now and what it could be if we sign up to Norway-style links? Because that's what's happened in Norway. They voted not to join the EU to the shock of Norwegian political classes who told everybody to vote yes. So what they then did was they linked Norway to the EU in other ways. That's what a Labour government might do now. Keir Starmer says he wants to make Brexit work better. I suspect he defines that with close closer links to the EU. So he'll be seeing sucker in the Blair Foundation pool. And the Blair Foundation, to my mind, a rather suspicious organisation whose funding is never declared and whose motives are continually suspect, uh, certainly seems to be a player in this debate. I would just say that on the point of Labour, I do think, you know, Lammy's speech should be seen as a sign of Labour's increased confidence to talk about this issue. And I think that the one of the lessons from the most recent general uh, local elections was that those links between Leave voting areas and the Conservatives seem to be significantly softened. And those areas areas which, uh, you know, voted Leave in 2016 and would have you know, voted Conservative places in 2019 were much more sort of pro-Labour and Labour taking back those areas. So I think the kind of electoral potency of, of Leave has been weakened. And I think mm. conversely, Labour, Labour are happy to talk a bit more about it, but they at the same time don't want to go the full hog of alienating those areas. James, why do you think that shift has happened? Because when Keir Starmer first took over as Labour leader, mm. you know, he was at pains to p- take pictures with a union jack to show that he wasn't like Corbyn in the sense that he was proud to be British, he was proud of the UK and he wasn't uh, the kind of pro-EU second referendum uh, that he had been previously. So where did this confidence come from that David Lammy and Keir Summers now talking about a closer relationship with the EU? I think what's really interesting is Labour's relationship with business and you know I was struck I mean this was during the Trust government but last year's party conference it was a very arresting contrast between how business leaders went to the sort of receptions at the Tory conference versus Labour and things they were saying. Look, Labour, you know, have been really keen to sort of talk about being the pro-business party, etc. That's the whole sort of rationale of Rachel Reeves' uh, sort of fiscal drive, etc. They want to be seen as the party trusted by business. And I think the kind of European element is really interesting where you've got businesses, the overwhelming majority who speak out on, this, on the issue of Brexit are very, very critical. So I think that by Labour seeing, by presenting themselves as conciliatory but not completely divisive, etc., mm. they'll be a much better partner for all that. So I think it's a variety of areas. I think also there's a simple political reality that the vision presented by some Brexit is obviously not Fraser, but in 2016 was of like, you know, the idea we could completely cut ourselves off from the EU, which obviously the EU is going to remain a force. In. And I think also perhaps potentially there's an element of post-Ukraine as well. We're realising again the importance of sort of multilateral cooperation. European unity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, that's even, you know, under... You know, successive leaders, uh, so Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, there was still the kind of willingness to engage with the European political community rather than the EU structures. Mm. And speaking of Boris Johnson, today he has tweeted to celebrate this anniversary and cause critics profits of doom. I remember him once telling us we would be celebrating this as Independence Day, literally. 
Um, I see he, not even he's um, sticking with it now. No. And Fraser, um, meanwhile, the mortgage crisis continues at pace. Jeremy Hunt this morning has met various mortgage lenders in number 11. But I mean, frankly, what he can do is limited, isn't it? Well, in her cover piece this week, Kate Andrews points out two things. One, that Hunt is trying to do what he can, uh, using that saying, can we push people with longer-term mortgages? Can you give them this relief and that relief? But what he's not going to do is use the tax system to do some kind of bailout for mortgage owners. So he wants to try to give relief in regulatory form, but isn't going to dip his hand into his pocket. It's difficult to describe how big a deal this is among certain Conservatives. Those in and around Downing Street will say to you, look, this is a really important moment for us because in every similar moment of tension, Boris or Liz Truss or whoever has said, okay, we're going to borrow shitloads of money to subsidise your heating bill with Liz Truss or take the edge off a lockdown. This is the first crisis which the Conservative Party intends to get through without borrowing or printing more money and giving it to people to get themselves out of a tight spot. So this is what we can see now. Jeremy Hunt doesn't want to come across as being uncaring. He wants to be seen to do everything that he can, but he's not going to subsidise. There's not going to be an equivalent of a 1983 Myra's system where you have mortgage relief, etc. On the Spectator Data Hub, we publish every day a graph which will show you the changing market expectations for interest rates is the only place on the internet you'll find this graph. And if you're a mortgage owner, or in your case, indeed, an aspiring mortgage owner, then this matters because it tells you what the market expects interest rates to go up to. Right now, the market expects interest rates to peak at 6%, broadly speaking, this time next year. Now, this matters because the last time the banks did a stress test to see if the economy might fall down if rates are too high, the scenario, the grim scenario they chose, was mortgage rates at 6%. That is now the the medium scenario. If mortgage rates expectations go above 6%, then serious questions start to be asked about what sort of things might fall down, uh, what sort of loans might go bad. And given that the spectator is currently owned by Lloyds Bank, we are uh, an example of what happens when loans go bad. Looking at the politics of this, uh, talking to some MPs last night, there seems to be about a sort of dozen or so Conservatives who are really rather concerned about this. Some of them have gone public, like Jake Berry, etc., pushing for some kind of Conservative solution to the mortgage <laughs> crisis. And I'll be interested to see the kind of pressure they exert in Parliament. Obviously, Labour have ruled out kind of a big package, which, say, the Lib Dems are supporting because they're concerned very fairly so about, you know, the, the spectacle of, first of all, poorer taxpayers and rent, say, subsidising the richer ones and mortgages. Second of all, whether this would upend the whole government inflation strategy. And third of all, when you start filling with markets, you know, we're going to end up. So I'll be interested to see how those kind of tensions play out, whether it presents a sort of Tory splits issue or whether Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak, who I think should be stressed how in lockstep they have been on this, which is a real sort of break with the traditional fault line of British politics, which is between number 10 and number 11 Downing Street, how they deal with that pressure within their party uh, and whether it's just going to be about sort of urging the banks to do certain things like a holiday, etc., mortgage holiday, or whether we actually see some kind of package of some kind. A real moment to be tested. Um, James and Fraser, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening.